0: Welcome to another 99th episode. <sighs> okay. <laughs> I know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Everything is all about guiding stupidity. Yeah. That's right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, Paul. Yes, Sean. Well, I went to WonderCon a couple weeks ago. That sounds wonderful. Ago. It is wonderful. WonderCon is maybe my... I don't know if that's my favorite convention or if San Diego Comic-Con is my favorite convention, but I've been going to WonderCon since 2001 when it was in a ballroom in Oakland Hotel. So it's like my hometown convention. It was in the Bay Area when I lived in the Bay Area. It moved down to Southern California. Then I moved down to Southern California a year later. So it's always been like the big convention. How romantic. You moved to follow your con that you loved. Yeah, well, you know, I just couldn't live without WonderCon in my life. So, you know, I do miss, though, when it was in San Francisco, it was literally a 15-minute walk from my apartment to get to the convention, and that was just, oh, glorious. It was great. But it was just, uh, again, it was fun. I I think I talked about the Comic-Con Special Edition a few months back, and that was a pretty small show. It felt sparse and not that well populated, and this felt like definitely a back-to-normal-sized show. It was full of all the vendors that we'd expect and um, all the dealers and the crowds and everything. And... It was really fun. I spent the entire first day just digging through dealer's comic book boxes. And what I found is that that is just, it's such a relaxing thing for me to do, is to just sit there and go through boxes of comics and maybe find something that I'm interested in. And... You know, I can spend 10-15 minutes just flipping through boxes of $1 comics. And if I only find like one or two things that I want from that, I'm happy. I mean, even if I find nothing I want, I'm happy. Just because it's, it's fun to be around that. And it really kind of always reinvigorates my love of comics.
1: Just to be surrounded by all that. Yeah, you know, it's funny, I don't even collect, you know, monthly comics or whatever. Is there a good term for those comics? Like, floppies sounds stupid. But I think floppies is, like, there. there's no
0: better term, right? What is better? Yeah. Pamphlets? <laughs> <laughs> Monthlies? <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> floppies, even as stupid as it is, is the best term we've got, unfortunately. <laughs>
1: You know, I th- one thing I think is funny, I saw this on Twitter one day, and somebody's like, you know, I always thought the, the term talkies, like, talking about, like, when, you know, movies started having talking and it sounded stupid, but mm-hmm. then I reflected on the word movies and realized how stupid that sounded, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right, movies, they're moving pictures. Uh, but, yeah, so, anyways, even with stopping collecting floppies, and, I like, the only comics I have left like that are What's Up On My Wall. My son has a short box of comics but he honestly like kind of really passively cares like they're just kind of a neat thing for him to have and honestly if I took the box and threw it out he probably would take months to even notice it was gone um but it's still like it's fun to go and dig through uh through bins of comics and like I mean Nowadays, I'd be less interested in anything but like you know dollar boxes or less, uh, because even if I if I found something that was awesome, that was a good deal, that cost more than that, I wouldn't buy it because I don't buy those anymore. But yeah, it's just like I still have that collector's nature to dig, and I still know the value of some things. To where if I see something that I like has value to me or somebody else, it makes me happy. But then also, like, I know enough people and I know what they like that I can come across stuff. And if I find a good deal, I can grab it for people knowing I can turn it over to them and, you know, get my money back out of it, basically, um, and make them happy. You know, sometimes, like, we do that and we make mistakes and get something and then nobody wants it and then we're stuck with something we didn't want in the first place. But it's like when you know your friends pretty well, you can pretty safely do that. And and it gives you the chance to, like, still have that fun hunting side of the hobby without the... Um, Having the all the boxes stuff. of stuff side of the hobby, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I still haven't quite given
0: up on the having lots of stuff side of it, and I, I am narrowing down as we've talked about many many times. I think that it's I'm really focusing just on X Men books from the era of Chris, when Chris Claremont was writing, so everything mm-hmm. from Giant Size X Men Number One to the new. Nineteen ninety-one X-Men series issue three, basically that whole run. I, I just want every, every appearance of the X-Men. Nice. And what I one thing I found that's frustrating is there is a lot of stuff that is an X-Men appearance, but is pricey for other reasons. Like, so Secret Wars number one now is like a fifty to a hundred dollar book all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And this is a book that I remember seeing for between like a dollar and five dollars, right, you know, <laughs> back in you know, 10 years ago when I would see it all the time. But before I really narrowed in on this focus here, and it's technically an X-Men appearance because the X-Men play a big part in Secret Wars. So I'm in this position where to flesh out this collection that I want to get, I'm going to have to, pay a lot for a book that isn't really like a core X-Men appearance. But at the same time, I have all the rest of the secret wars issues except issue eight, which is another frustrating one.
1: Yeah. And why is that one? That's the first appearance of the symbiote. It's the first appearance of
0: the goo that becomes the black costume that becomes the symbiote, which becomes venom. So, well, it's, and it's not actually the first appearance of the black costume. It's the first in continuity appearance. Because uh, what what they did with Secret Wars that was kind of cool, and
1: I'm sorry if this is just you know all this, and I'm just totally (laughs) like nerd splaining Secret Wars. Actually, I I only kind of know some of it, but I mean we also got to remember that I mean we have people listening that maybe don't. So it's like just because you or I may know something, it doesn't hurt to talk about it either. Yeah. So the way Secret Wars was formatted
0: is one month at the end of. The issue of every Marvel comics it ended with the the characters entering into this thing and getting abducted to Battle World for Secret Wars, and that's how Secret Wars started. And then the next month in the comic, the comic starts with them reappearing at the end of Secret Wars. But by that time, only the first issue of the Secret Wars series had come out. So these are things like Spider-Man goes in with his regular blue and red costume into this thing that transports him to battle world. And at the beginning of next issue, he pops out and he has a new black costume and it's not explained at all. And it wasn't until all 12 issues of secret wars had come out that we learned, Oh, here's how we got it. And here's how that change happened. So it was actually kind of neat in a way what they did where they kind of show the ramifications of the story before you actually see the story which mm-hmm. i think presents a lot of really neat storytelling possibilities though most of them ended up being more i think minor or gimmicky along those lines like uh, you know spider-man has a new outfit where did he get it you know along those 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 types From the of the toy designers yeah <laughs> colossus no longer likes kitty pride why not and son of a bitch yeah he was a son of a bitch yeah and uh but anyway so i'm missing
1: issues one and eight of secret wars and it's gonna cost a lot to get those I, I apologize if you said this and I missed it because my son came in. Uh, why is number one pricey?
0: Well, I I don't know. <laughs> and that's
1: what's frustrating. Is it just because it's
0: number one? The only thing I can think of is that it's the first appearance of the Beyonder, who's like the guy that makes Secret Wars happen, the big like mm. galactic power or whatever that makes Secret Wars happen. The very, very original name. Yeah. And... Maybe people are speculating that
1: the Beyonder is going to show up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, I'm so glad that I got out of collecting. I and it was nice deciding to get out of it as um, you know the market started going crazy because there's a lot of books I got for like nothing that I sold for a lot more than nothing. Yeah. <laughs> There are some Ninja Turtle books I got like out of a dollar bin that I sold for... I sold them for significantly less than they were going for, but significantly more than I paid for them, which is a very happy medium, if you ask me. Yeah.
0: Well, that's <laughs> that's what I'm finding, because I'm only missing, like I think, four issues of Uncanny X-Men now, at least in terms of like their early, hard-to-get stuff. Uh, I'm missing tons of stuff from the 90s that it's just like it's stuff that I don't want to pay more than a dollar for. And so when I find it for a dollar in good condition, I'm going to buy it and I'm going to find it eventually. But it
1: gives you the the fun
0: of the hunt. Yeah. But I'm missing like 96, one Oh seven and one Oh nine. And the prices on everything have just gone way up and I haven't really been paying attention. So I was walking around and looking at the prices people were asking for these books on Saturday of WonderCon, And I thought, this is insane. Like who would ever pay this much for these books? And then that night I thought, well, you know what? Let me check how much they're selling for on eBay and actually get an idea of what they should be so that I can calibrate my own expectations. And I saw, Oh, the, the, they were all kind of actually reasonably priced, <laughs> what everyone had yeah. there. And I went back the next day thinking, okay, well, I'm, if this is the price, this is the price. And they were all gone because other people yep. had bought them.
1: <laughs> so, Exactly. Yeah. What, what I did with that when I was uh, completing, because I collected from 94 through the end of Uncanny X-Men Series 1. Um, and what I did was everything I was hunting after, I would go to uh, my comic shop and I would... Write down for me the quality the the condition didn't matter as much so I would write down the uh like the cheapest price that they sold it for and then I would kind of compare that to eBay and get a sense there of like what it could be bought for but that would give me a good sense so like if on my comic like I'm just looking at ninety six and holy crap as that one got expensive it, the cheapest one on my comic shop is a hundred bucks for a four point mm-hmm. so if I went to the the shop that I would go and find these books at because they would sell like lower condition books for very reasonable prices. If I knew it was a hundred cheaper cheapest there, I would then like kind of compare to eBay and get a sense of the eBay price. And if I found it for less than that, I would know it was something to jump on. And if it was just the same price I could let it sit and not feel the pressure to jump on it. So it's kind of a good way then you could just have a I mean especially if you only need four books there. Research the different values, different places for those books. That way, when you come across it for a more reasonable price, like you know, just don't even think about it. Just do it. Yeah, well, and and that's what I did after my first day there. I think the, the, my first
0: day there, I was just in a bit of sticker shock because I just hadn't yeah. really paid attention to prices. And then the second day, I... Did all of that, actually, I even went and looked at my comic shop, just exactly like you said, see what they offer there, check the sold eBay listings to just kind of see what I want. Part of the issue is like, I want high grade issues. Um, and I've just kind of decided, you know what, I'm I'm going to spend the money to, to do this high grade because I'm just going to be, I think, happier in the long run with that and having a a narrower but higher condition collection is going to make me happier is is really what I came to
1: and odds are with uh with the x men like it, that's an investment that's going to increase over time also it's not one that's going to fluctuate heavily you know kind of like if you're going to buy uh sports cards buy like michael jordan or kobe bryant you know like you buy somebody that is always going to have a steady increase in value and they're never going to they're like, they're never going to go down unless just the market itself as a whole goes down. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, I think if if we get to the point where X-Men comics become worthless, then I'm going to have much bigger problems because we're living in Mad Max and there's a
1: gang of mutants chasing me down the street, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like those, those aren't even going to fluctuate. They're not going to drop below a certain threshold just because, like— the collectibles as a whole, like people finally realize they're all idiots for how much they're spending and start spending less. Like that's not going to happen. Like even if other, I mean, like you see that a lot with sports cards, like new cards come out, everybody spends like idiots on them. And then like a month later when there's enough of them in the market, they like, their the value drops drastically. So a lot of people drastically overspent on stuff that wasn't worth it because it's, you know, that's the only one they could find when it first comes out. Like, you know, things like that you wait on, but comics that are, you know, Thirty years old aren't going to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, so, it was a really a a really great day of just digging through boxes. I found, I think I bought like one or two big expensive books, but then also uh, uh, found a few really cheap
1: like dollar books. It's kind of a good balance. And so you come home like, look at these books. I spent a hundred dollars on these books. And there's like 10 books. I was like, oh, okay, 10 like, bucks this, one was like, yeah, this one was 95. And these, this was 95. And these, I bought in the quarter bit on the way out. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. You, you say it like it's a joke, but that's actually pretty accurate too. Yeah. <laughs> My purchasing. You know,
1: collecting stuff is so funny. Like, and one thing that's cool. And I know like you know, being able to go to a convention like that is, is sort of like, I don't get to go to conventions and kind of the way that I come across uh, opportunities to purchase stuff. It has been by making friends and the the things that I do like on Twitter, basically. So like, since I've kind of gotten more into card collecting as a hobby, the people that I've interacted with, like some of them are just kind of like, I would call kind of more acquaintances. Like if they have something good that I think is a good value, I trust them enough to buy it, maybe. Um, then there's other people who it's kind of more like you get that, um, you know, that kind of Camaraderie, the you know, it's like they're not only out to get what they want or to make money with what they're selling, but they really do like they love the hobby and they want to support other people being in it. So, like I have this one guy I've known for a bit on there that like he doesn't sell stuff a ton or anything, but he's a good collector and he like he knows Kobe stuff well. He sometimes will just hit me up and be like, Hey, I'm giving you first shot at these cards if you're interested in them. And then even then, like, he did that last night, and he offered me a couple of Topps uh, Chrome Kobe cards. So I was like, how much do you want for them? And he wanted 20 bucks a pop plus shipping. And I looked on eBay, and I saw, like, the comps for the cards were a little bit lower. So I was like, I'll do that if that's what you want for them. Like, I saw the comps being a little bit lower, but I trust buying them from you because I know they're going to be in good condition. And then he was just like, oh, I don't want to be above comps. Um, and he was, like, being apologetic. I'm like, you got nothing to apologize for to me like you, you're, you don't have to research something before you make me an offer like you offer me what you want you know and if we come to a different deal that's fine I have a handful of Kobe rookie cards there's like there's some that are attainable and then like once you crack, kind of cross that threshold then they get to the unattainable level that I'll never be able to afford and the highest end of the attainable level pretty much is um the tops Kobe rookie it is the highest of those before you get to like there's a tops chrome version that is you know jumps up to crazy expensive. And I saw that Tops Kobe rookie in the card shop that's down like an hour away from me that I used to go to when I lived down there that like I, I drop in every once in a while now. I saw it there and he was asking a really high price for because, like in a card shop, that's kind of what you do. You like you put a higher price tag than you want on it so that way when people talk you down on it, you get what you want out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. comic shops basically do that too, right? Half off double the price. Exactly. Yeah. Um But so I, I saw that there and I was like I could have even talked him down easily, I know. Uh, he also very much treats me well. But I saw, I was like, I I knew I couldn't buy that. But then I was like, you know, I, I really would like to get that card before it becomes unattainable. Because eventually, it probably will become unattainable. Because that's how stuff goes. It just keeps climbing. So I messaged this one guy. I was like, hey, do you happen to have a tops Kobe rookie that you want to sell? Uh, he had, you know, he didn't offer one up or anything, but I just sent him a message. He's like, "Let me look." And he did have an extra one. He ended up selling it to me for, like, basically what he offered it to me for. I was happy to take. Um, it was, you know, I thought it was a great deal. And he's like, "You know, I'm glad you messaged me because, like, I had no intention of selling that, but it makes me happy to sell it to you because, you know, he knows that I value it. You know, yeah. I'm kind of the same way with stuff. I'd rather sell stuff for cheaper than it's worth to somebody who's going to appreciate it." than to get top dollar from somebody who I have an unpleasant interaction with, you know? But, yeah, so, like, making those friends, ma- making friends to do that is kind of like the the replacement for me of going to a convention. Because then it's like I have kind of eyes all around when you make those good relationships, too. It's like they look out for what you like. You know, I have uh, other friends that collect other stuff that I, you know, I always watch for and I know they're looking for. So that way I can help them get it, and it gives me that kind of thing to hunt for, you know? Yeah. The other thing that I kind
0: of started to dip my toes into with, um, well, actually, I it, it, I didn't really dip them into this round. I, I I guess I really dipped my toe in a couple of years ago, but I, I plunged a little more into the pool is the uh, Doctor Strange comics that are um, written by Steve Englehart and drawn by uh-huh. Frank Bruner. These are like... 1970s doctor strange uh from the era when it seemed like marvel like creators just do whatever insane crazy wacky stuff that they wanted (laughs) and so they're just like super far out crazy trippy mystical magical cosmic adventure type comics and they're just a really cool time capsule of the, of that era. And, you know, they definitely read differently than modern comics, but I think in a really neat, fun way.
1: Yeah. It's, it's fun to find those little like niches of stuff outside of what you've typically gone after, you know, reading or collecting, um, like seeing this stuff that kind of catches my son's interest. Cause he doesn't really read like old Marvel comics like that. Cause you know, we both know those are some pretty heavy reading and they're not going to keep a nine year old's interest. Unless they just really really like them, you know? Yeah. And he's kind of passive, so it's not going to happen. But he likes looking at them and looking at the art and everything. But some of the cool ones have been like Guardians of the Galaxy or Silver Surfer, you know, things like that that are just, I guess, kind of the more cosmic stuff. So it's like it's different than the typical, uh, you know, kind of mainline Marvel stuff. Yeah, yeah. so that's that's been
0: fun. It's nice because it's only like an 11-issue run where these two creators collaborated together. So it's pretty achievable in that way, though. There is definitely a lot of pricey issues in there as well. Yeah. But I think that's also kind of what makes it fun is, is I like stuff like that, that is very small collections that I can focus on getting just these, you know, 10 or 11 issues of something. And then I've got this just really great classic thing and I, I think I kind of started that with the Jim Starlin classic comics. I got to put-together a put together collection of his old Captain Marvel, and then his Warlock runs. And these are like the original Thanos issues. Like back mm-hmm. when Thanos was getting the Cosmic Cube to try to take over everything. And um, back when... He first heard about the Infinity Gems back in the seventies. Before, you know, later coming back in the nineties for Infinity Gauntlet and putting them together. So it's kind of like the origins of all that stuff uh, are in these seventies comics, and I put together that those runs, and it's like ten or twelve issues each of those, and so it's just really easy, fun, and attainable at the same time. So I had an entire day really of just like digging around in comic boxes, and that was just tons of fun it was so relaxing and good to do that again the day after that i actually like walked around and checked out the rest of the convention and it's kind of interesting in that after a while at the same convention it's mostly the same dealers and same people attending so it starts to become kind of the same stuff over and over yeah so it becomes just a matter of kind of Walking through really quickly for me, seeing what there is to see, seeing if there's anything that looks new or interesting, and kind of going with there. But yeah, I had a great time at WonderCon, and I was really happy just to just to be there.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed seeing some of your pictures, like seeing you know different cosplayers is cool. Yeah, um, like it's always fun seeing people's creativity with stuff like that. Um, what you were saying about collecting the Doctor Strange books too made me think of, like, you know, obviously, as I've been saying it, my collecting has shifted over to sports cards pretty much. Like, I guess you could say, like, I've also kind of collected manga because there's been series that I've wanted to read in because manga can become very hard to find, like I've aggressively pursued completing a few series. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have a lot of manga to read. But um, with uh, with sports cards, like, that made me think of... When I was still trying to find what I even wanted to collect, because it's easy to like collect my teams or collect my favorite players. But I mean, like Kobe's a great example where I'm never gonna like build an an all inclusive Kobe collection. You know, that's that's impossible. Like there are cards out there that are unattainable. Um, like not even just price wise, but scarcity wise. Uh, so it's like you know that's that's kind of always like a, I'm gonna um kind of figure out how I want this collection to look and build it to that. Yeah, you know, as I've gone and collected like kind of any Lakers cards I could get, for example, now I'm kind of like, eh, how many LeBron cards do I want? Like, maybe it's nice to have like some nicer LeBron cards, but like how many like LeBron base cards do I want? Whereas like with Kobe, I'll kind of take every Kobe base card that's unique because you know he's like one going to maintain more value and two. Um, like he's definitely a different level of special, you know, like if you're talking greatest players, whatever, like you can compare those two and, and argue it. But like, as far as fandom, like there's no, there's no question, you know, but that's just like, that's not the funnest way to collect necessarily. So I stumbled across what kind of helped me start to find my niche of how I wanted to collect was somebody a while back mentioned, uh, when they used to make the metal cards, like they had, um. The, like the one year that stood out was when it was uh, Metal Universe, and they actually did it for, for basketball and baseball and football, uh, but the basketball set just really stood out. It was 97-98 Metal Universe, and the Kobe card for that set, uh, the background looked like he was in front of the Death Star. Oh, um, I, I think so just, you showed me this one, right? Yeah, yeah, I definitely did. Super cool card, and I love Kobe, obviously. This is like, yeah, Kobe in front of the Death Star, how appropriate is that, too? Because like, that's just his mentality. That's what made him special as a player beyond his basketball skills. He just had that mentality of, like, I will destroy you, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, In the same set, also, the Michael Jordan card was incredibly cool. He's, like, dunking a flaming planet through space. That's cool. Um, Yeah, super cool card. So I, I stumbled across the Kobe card. That became a target, not because I wanted the set yet at that point, but just because, like, I wanted that Kobe card. And so I kept on watching. And this is when the the collectibles market was starting to continually pick up, but before it kind of got crazy. Um, And I was able to land a decent deal on it because the auction ended on Christmas Eve. So I was at my in-laws house, like watching the end of this auction where, you know, auctions that ended bad times like that, like you tend to find decent deals because people are busy with stuff when they normally might be hawking that auction. Yeah. So I got that card, I was like, this is awesome, and I just liked them. So as I started to stumble across, like, cheap base cards from this set, I just started like, I'm just going to grab these, they're cool, like, regardless of who the player is. And then I was, you know, I kept on looking at that Jordan card, because the Jordan card was the most expensive one. And I saw it go from being—I think when I first started looking, it was like eighty bucks. I was like, eh, I'm gonna wait." Mm-hmm. And then it climbed up to like 150. I was like, uh, ah, damn it!"
0: That's happened to me with comics too. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I waited until the market settled back down because that's when stuff was really going crazy. And I ended up getting it for I think uh, about a hundred. Okay. But when I got that, that was when I was like, "Okay, now I like I can build this whole base set because I just I just got the hardest card." You know, there are a few other cards that weren't, you know, like dirt cheap, um, like Tim Duncan's rookie card is in that set. So
0: it's it's kind of like getting Giant Size X-Men 1 and X-Men 94, and then the rest are a lot easier from there.
1: E- exactly. I mean, that's a, that's a very good way to relate it. So, and, you know, these were more attainable than those books for sure. Um, so like you're talking about the Doctor Strange books, there's a couple of high-end books, and then everything else is pretty much just super affordable. That's kind of how it was. So I did finish that whole set. And uh, it just, like, it's beautiful to look at. Like like I said, even the players that don't matter to me as individual players, like, all the cards are just, like, they're beautiful, you know? Um, so it's kind of like that, picking up a, a story that's unique to you and different and, you know, has a lot of, you know, artistic stuff to offer. It's cool to have those targets. So, like, that was my first target. And then I just, as I was going, any other metal cards that I came across, and, of course, it was mostly basketball because that's what I was hunting down Um, I would just grab them and then with all the different basketball sets, because it basically uh, spans from the 95, 96 set to the 99, 2000 set and the 97, 98 year, they actually had two separate sets. So what I did once I got enough of all these cards is I actually, um, and I have them in binders. I left gaps for all the cards I needed to get. So it's kind of cool too. So as I completed, I'm not having to reshuffle everything, which is incredibly tedious, but I can visibly see myself filling in gaps. So like it just like it does so many good things as far as that like collecting nature. And what's also cool is Kobe crosses every one of the sets. His rookie card is in the first set and I have there's two he has two rookie cards in the base set. I have both of them now. And then every other year he has a card in the set because he's an active player. So it also coincides with the collecting Kobe. And it just kind of expands upon it to you know other sets that are cool, and I'm kind of keeping my eyes on if I see other sports um, or they even had uh, Marvel cards that they made. Whatever I come across, like you know if if it's uh, easy to grab, I just grab it because it's you know give me something to keep on pursuing in the future. That's really neat. Leaving the the spaces
0: for the cards in the pages open because that is a super visual way to see when you're actually f- like filling that gap. Yeah. Cause I, I don't really have a good equivalent of that for comics because they just go in my long box. And you know, once I put a comic in my long box, it just, uh, just all I see is the top of it in that back yeah. backing board. I don't quite get that visceral feeling of, Oh, there was a gap in this collection that I just, filled that gap like it sounds like you would with having the empty page that's that's really fun
1: that's neat yeah and it's like you do it with comics you have the you know maybe like i have one through 50 except for 27 and 36 then when you get those it feels good but it's still just a knowledge of you completed it It you don't have that visual satisfaction
0: yeah Mm
1: -hmm. um and then there's the other satisfaction of like oh this is a key book i wanted but that's the same as me targeting the kobe or the jordan card you know yeah um but yeah that like you just you can't get that in comics unless you're actually like putting them up across your whole wall or something like that which I, I highly encourage you to do. I think you should spread your whole Uncanny X Men collection all over your walls. I think your hmm. wife will appreciate it. But yeah, no, it is really cool. And and then you have like the um the like small levels of completion. Like this page this page is full now, so that's nine cards. I have nine cards of the set. They happen to all be on the same page, but it feels really satisfying to fill a page. Yeah, and as you keep going and fill it up more, then it just like that uh ninety seven ninety eight so like I don't know if you've noticed but i've been uh, not every day because I've been busy as heck, but uh I've been tweeting out a, a page uh whenever I think of it day um to share the collection um and it's it's just it's really nice to look through it like that cool well, that's really fun, so shifting gears, I picked up a
0: bunch of castlevania games on my Xbox. Because it was there was some sale where it's like a dollar a game all type of thing, right? I mean, I don't remember uh-huh. exactly how much it was, but I got like the Castlevania collection, which is the first five Castlevania games for like 10 bucks or something like that. Yeah. And then I also picked up Symphony of the Night because I've always, I've heard about that game and then I looked it up and people consider it like the best Castlevania game ever.
1: Yeah, I've been I I've, I've never not quite never. I've played Castlevania, I don't remember which specific games, but slightly at a friend's house. I've never owned one. So I've always been curious and uh especially Symphony of the Night cuz that's one that over the years like I've always heard about as being like the pinnacle of, you know, the art form.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I just jumped in with the very first Castlevania game and I think that it hadn't really evolved into what Castlevania has since become since then with that first game because the, the first game is... It's like Mega Man, right? It's a, You're just going through the level trying not to die and trying to uh, f- kill all the enemies and make it through to the boss at the end. It, mm-hmm. You know, it's just... It's very it's just a super linear or like super Mario brothers. It's like, here's your level. You need to make it through without dying. Can you do that? That's, that's what the game is. And it's like excruciatingly hard, <laughs> like frustratingly hard. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think I'm like about, uh, a, a little over halfway through the game, maybe two thirds of the way through the game. And it is just tough, just tough. I don't know if I have the capacity for that type of difficult game anymore in my life like Mm -hmm. i had when i was (laughs) 10 years old and i could just spend had the time and patience to figure out okay here's how i get through this level i have to walk here then i have to jump here then i have to turn around and get this and then do that and you know because obviously there is just a sequence because it's all programmed and it's always exactly the same each time and uh, it's just it is it's frustratingly difficult like i think i just got to the point because each level gets harder and harder as it goes, obviously that's one of the things. At first, I was like, "This is rad! This is awesome!" And then it started to get a bit harder, and then it got harder and harder. And I'm at a point now where I'm just like, Ugh, "I can't! I can't get through this level. I just don't have the <laughs> the skill, the hand eye coordination, or quickness of thought to actually get through this level anymore." And it's almost to the point where I'm thinking about abandoning this game because it just too difficult for me and i just i don't have the patience to f- figure it out um yeah so it's kind of funny it's it's just games from a different era is, is yeah it's kind the, of
1: interesting that era of games it was so much about the repetition uh you you played the game over and over and over until basically you learned how to beat it i mean even you know super mario brothers was like that basically um i think it's a, a lower difficulty level than what you're saying where it's like you know, like you can get through the majority of that game without the repetition of learning how to do it, but you still figure out as you go like the, the way to approach all the different things and understanding the movement to the characters and stuff like that because that's that's what that game comes down to. Having a PlayStation 4 uh, over the years that I've had it, like that was the first system where I started buying digital games on sale because uh, with having a ps3 like I never got into doing that. I only bought physical games. So buying digital games and being able to get games really cheap, like, you know, you get tempted by the sale and you buy all these games because, like, oh, look at this price. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it took me, you know, many years to realize that buying a game you never will play is not saving money, <laughs> no matter how <laughs> That's cheap an it important is. important lesson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but with games like that, like, I've bought several games that um, I loved them before, or maybe I was just really intrigued by them and, and wanted to check them out again, that just, like... Play them a minute. I'm like, nope, I shouldn't. I shouldn't have wasted the few bucks on that. With the Castlevania games, that's one where I've been continually tempted, and I keep on talking myself out of it. And I think if I ever do pull the trigger on anything, it'll be Symphony of the Night. But I, I'm glad that you got it because I want to hear what you think of it. So I don't waste the money if you're like, nope, this is still too hard. You know? (laughs) Yeah, I know.
0: Yeah, I have no idea if if or when I'll get to it because in in my mind I had this glorious idea of like, well, I'm gonna play Castlevania. Then I'm going to play Castlevania 2. Then I'll play Castlevania 3. And then I'll play Castlevania 4. And then I'll play Symphony of the Night. And I think that that's not a realistic (laughs) expectation right now for me. So I may just jump to Symphony of the Night just to kind of get to that, I guess, main event. Um, Though, So as I was reading into this, I discovered a new term or a new kind of sub-genre of video game and it's the Metroidvania. You hadn't heard that before? I've never heard Metroidvania as a, like, genre of game.
1: Yeah, I I started hearing that a while ago and was kind of like, alright, I don't know what the heck that means exactly. Like, obviously Metroid and Castlevania are two series of games that have been highly influential. Um, And then, uh, the other day, I had, so... A little bit, little bit of background with the story. I had typically been playing Madden 22 as my, I don't really have to think that hard game to just play and, you know, relax with. I traded it in because it was becoming too much of a time suck and it frustrated me enough times with them doing stupid things with it, basically. I was like, all right, I think it's time to call it quits on this because I want to play other games. I figure I'm probably going to get a PS5 in about a year and a half, so like, I can't stuck on a time suck game unless I just am going to give up on playing all these other games I've purchased over the years digitally and whatever. So got rid of that. And then one day I come home and it's like, you know, work was tiring. I want to relax a little bit. School is also taking up a lot of my time. So it's like, I don't have infinite mental space and I didn't want to play Assassin's Creed Valhalla because that was a little too much of a commitment. That's the main game that I'm playing right now. So I was like, okay, what am I going to play? And I looked around and one of the like, easier to approach games that I had gotten was Guacamele. I have talked about it before a little bit. Very fun game. Um, I, so I jumped in. I was like, I don't remember what the heck I was doing. I don't remember all the different like moves you can do now. So I was like, I'm just going to start again from the beginning. So I start again from the beginning and I'm playing it. My son comes and watches me. And he watched me play it some before, which is probably like at least over a year ago now. Uh, and he was kind of briefly interested and then lost interest. But his interest level with things have changed and he was all hyped up about it. He's asking me like, how many Guacamelee! games did they make? And I was like, well, I know they made two, because I have two. And um, he's like, well, maybe they made three. Can you look it up? Because, like, he always wants to know those details. So I look it up, and as I look it up, and I'm reading the Wikipedia entry on Guacamelee! It's like, this is a Metroidvania game. I'm like, okay, like, now I'm intrigued what the heck that actually means. Because this game did not make me think of Metroid or Castlevania. And then I looked it up, and it's the characteristic of a game to you're kind of playing back and forth through the same area, but as you gain abilities, you unlock the ability to get to areas you couldn't get to before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that's. Ex- yeah. Oh! Okay, this, like, that term finally makes sense to me, because one of the things that struck me with Guacamelee is the level design was so good, because as you unlock the ability to do these different attacks, and break through certain barriers, you get to other areas of the game. And, like, it was done very well. Like, the first Legend of Zelda, I mean, and all of them that are like that model of Zelda game, are like that, where it's like you go to the right dungeon, you beat the boss, you get a weapon in in the process, the weapon helps you defeat the boss, but then that weapon helps you get to the next dungeon you need to get to. Yeah, now you have the ladder, or the raft, or the whistle, or whatever you need, yeah. And everybody knows the hookshot's the best. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I had never heard that term either, and I was a little confused by it, because... M- I my experience of Castlevania only comes from like the NES days when Castlevania seemed like to me it was just like a side scrolling you know get through the level attack stuff and that's it game like it it didn't strike me as that similar to Metroid. Because I also played Metroid when I was a, a young young lad with my Nintendo Entertainment System. And that's one thing I thought was really cool about the game was this idea of like, oh, well, now I can I got the thing where now I can turn into a little ball so I can roll under this area and get to this new place that I was never able to get to before. Or now I have the bomb so I can like boost myself up over this wall that I couldn't jump to before. Or, you know, there's all, all those sorts of things were built into the first metroid game from like the very beginning and uh but they weren't built into castlevania at the very beginning so it didn't make sense to me cuz castlevania i was thought well you just it's just a level that you have to get through it was more like a mega man game like i mentioned before yeah and i guess that those aspects of it were added over time this idea of well you have to like get some weapon or ability or item that allows you to now travel to a new area that you couldn't unlock before. And I guess the symphony of the night is considered like the peak of that type of uh, game design. So I'm, I'm really excited for it for that way because when I discovered that this genre exists and what it actually means it makes it it makes it feel a lot more interesting than just a pure like let me get through this level and beat all the enemies type of game it's much more of like it feels like almost like a puzzle or problem solving like when i learn oh i need to get this item to get to here there's a real satisfaction when you actually do that you know that oh man i i actually feel like i accomplished something more than just fighting my way through a level i feel like i actually unlocked some secret or something like that and that seems really cool and really fun
1: yeah yeah that's that's what stood out to me with Guacamele was the 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 way the the levels are designed well i guess levels is a misnomer anyways because you can go back and forth through the whole game but just the way that that the the world or whatever is laid out you you get so much the satisfaction of you know oh i'm able to do this now and it's funny in that game, like, you mentioned that being able to turn into a ball so you can, like, roll through the tight spots. Yeah. In Guacamelee! You get the ability to turn into a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, it really, it's funny because, like, now that you say some of that stuff, it really is... Um, it's like somebody who sat there and went, like, huh, I want to make a Metroidvania game. Let's make it thematically about uh, luchadors and, like, Day of the Dead-style, you know, Hispanic culture but it's a it's a super fun game but yeah i like the way you talk about it i'm very interested in checking out symphony of the night and i feel very confirmed in my decision to not fall into the trap of buying the other castlevania games and i feel uh even more vindicated in my decision to stay away from the temptation of buying mega man games <laughs> oh gosh
0: yeah i mi- i bought like a mega man collection and even games that i Mega Man 2, which I used to be able to just crush that as a kid. Mm-hmm. I got to a point where it's like, I can't, I can't do this now. I just can't, like, Ugh. get through it. It's just too too difficult. I can't figure out, okay, first jump to this block, then to this block, then jump over back here because he's going to fire a laser beam here that I have to dodge here, and then I, get it. it's like, I, just, I can't do it.
1: Yeah. It's just, um, it's it really was about memorizing the game and being able to, like, make all the moves.
0: Yeah. That's... Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed those games when I was a kid. I, I loved that, you know, like, you get the right weapon, and then, like, you just rip the crap out of the boss that it's meant to be used against, you know? Oh, yeah. That was uh-huh. so satisfying. But, man, those levels were stiff. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we wrap this up early. I don't really have anything else to to dive into this week.
1: Yeah. I, I don't have too much like uh I guess I'll I'll a little update on the horror movie watching. Uh oh, I yeah. have Now watched um I've been working on the Conjuring Universe of movies. Uh so I've watched um The Nun was the first one, and then Annabelle Creation, then Annabelle, and then So um, I, I had
0: a question about that because yeah. I was actually editing our last episode while I was waiting for us to start this. So y- you are watching these not in release order, but in chronological, in like internal chronological order. Is that right? Yeah. That's, That's always strange to me. Like my inclination is always to watch things in release order because then I get the experience of things, seeing things the way that people that watched it as they were coming out watched it. So I see the reveals about, oh, what happened in the past, when like the people that were watching it as it was all coming out would have had that
1: experience. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like the reason I'm doing it this way, honestly, is because my cousin was like, here's a chronological list. Watch it this way. And then I was like, but I want to watch the conjuring and not all this other crap. So you know, should I watch it this way? And he's like, yes, yes, you, you have to, you have to watch
0: these seven movies to be able to watch this one. (laughs) And it's not that
1: it's obviously not that you have to do that by any means, but you only get to make that choice once. Like, you go down one path, you cannot, like, it will not be the same experience if you say, like, well, I'm going to watch it in release order and then I'm going to watch it in chronological order. Like, you only get to experience one of those choices as the original viewing. And it, it's, like, after that, it colors everything else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know... I don't think I've ever done anything like that in the past. I mean, typically anything I'm going to get into watching, like already, or like I'm watching it more kind of as it comes out, you know? So like, I mean, like the MCU movies, I basically saw them in the order they came out and ones that just weren't as interesting to me, I caught when I felt like it basically, but it's not like I went like, okay, now there's these, uh, I don't know, 20 movies. I don't even know how many movies there are um there's these 20 movies like oh what way should i watch them should i watch them in the you know no it's like i just i watched them when i did and that ship has already sailed the star wars movies like i saw the original trilogy before the prequel trilogy ever came out but somebody that's like gonna get into star wars now that never watched it before like my son if he wanted to get into star wars he would have a choice there you know do like And if, you know, if he decided he wanted to watch all those and he asked me, I would probably say, like, if you really want to do it and and you know you're going to to be able to push through some stuff that may not be the pinnacle of what it is, start with the prequels. Because then, honestly, like, if, if you watch the original trilogy and then watch the prequels, you're probably going to be like, oh, this is not, you know, living up to that first thing I watched. But if you watch the prequels first and then go to the original trilogy... You already know the original trilogy is the pinnacle of stuff.
0: Yeah, but it could also go disastrously wrong where they think, oh, man, the prequels are awesome. And then what's with these old movies? These are yeah. terrible. And then that would be that would be, could be the worst thing that
1: could possibly happen. And either way, it's a choice. And, I mean, either way, Star Wars is kind of boring and lame anyways. So, you know. Uh, <laughs> Alright no, episode's like, over. <laughs> I either way it's a choice. Like you, you only get to choose one or the other because you can't go down one road and then go back and go down the other road because that road changes. You know, it's it it, it doesn't you can't re experience it like you never did for the first time. Anyway, w- but what what's your preference, like between those choices? I don't know. This is the first time I'm doing it. <laughs> I
0: mean, but just in general with like other media like,
1: I, you know, this, I this. honestly don't think I've ever had the opportunity to make this choice before with anything. I don't no. think there's okay. anything that I've gone into raw, you know? And if I have gone into anything without any prior experience, I probably just stumbled into it with whoever else was doing it, and that's where I started. So I've, I've literally never had the opportunity to make the conscious de- decision of how I was going to approach something that I was completely unexposed to. Mm, okay. Horror movies was something that I, I mean, I had seen horror movies, but I never was into horror movies where I always kind of watched what came out. You know, Like even my cousin who recommended this, there's a couple of those movies he's never seen. And he loves horror movies. But it's like when you just like, I love horror movies, that doesn't mean you see literally everything that comes out, you make sure to see the ones that matter the most. And you catch the other ones as as you know, they draw your interest, you know? sure yeah so for me where i'm like you know it's kind of like when i got into manga i had read a little bit of stuff but being able to just jump in to something that was like a totally new territory gave me those kind of choices but even then it, there there was no manga equivalent to what this is so you know with these movies like i wanted to watch the conjuring that was the only movie i specifically wanted to watch uh that movie had intrigued me before when I wasn't, you know, starting to pursue watching more horror movies like I am now. Um, So, you know, like I said, my cousin, like, I wouldn't have ever thought to do that. Like, I literally would have just watched The Conjuring first, then, you know, stumbled across the other ones. Honestly, Annabelle always looks stupid to me, because it's this stupid, ugly doll. Like, that didn't appeal to me based on the cover of the movie, which, you know, is similar to, like, with comics. Like, if you don't know the story, if the cover doesn't, interest you you're not picking up the comic to find out more you know so with him presenting it to me that way and me having the easy access that they're all on hbo max which by the way i had to buy the first annabelle movie uh it's now on hbo max like literally a couple of weeks after i bought the damn thing (laughs) Um, but i don't regret it because it was very cheap and um it would have killed my momentum if i didn't do that Mm -hmm. Um, but what the hell hbo Um, anyways so like doing it this way I think that it, if I didn't do it this way, I may not have been compelled to go as deep into this series of movies, and I don't regret doing that. Because if I watched The Conjuring first, that that was the pinnacle of what I wanted to see. And honestly, like with what I've seen so far, I don't think anything is gonna like measure up to that level, to be honest. So I would have watched that, then I probably would have watched some of the other ones like in release order, and been like, eh, I'm just not as interested in these. Uh, I, uh interesting. Okay. So, so by doing this, like watching The Nun first, there's no The Nun 2. So that's out of the way. And then watching Annabelle Creation next, Um, I actually kind of enjoyed that. I might have enjoyed it less if I watched Annabelle first because I wasn't caught up in what Annabelle was supposed to be. And, like, you know, I didn't have any preconceived notions yet. And then the next one after that was Annabelle, uh, which... Was fine. I thought that it started off pretty slow, and I I forget who I was talking. I was texting with a couple of people about it, but they said like it started off slow and then strong. I did feel feel like it got a lot better as it went, but I thought the ending was kind of a cop out. Uh, But I still enjoyed it, and the mom and it was really hot, so that was nice too. Oh god! Then what was after that? Was it conjuring after that? I think the conjuring was the the fourth one that I watched. So I watched the Conjuring, which was the one I was waiting for, and I definitely think that that was by far the best movie. That one was really scary. Um, the other ones like were scary-ish, you know scary in parts, but it was a lot more kind of like jumps and creepy stuff. The conjuring <laughs> I thought was like legitimately scary. Um, and then I watched uh Annabelle comes home was the next one chronologically after that. It was entertaining. I actually thought it was the cheesiest of any of them so far. It was kind of like, a, have you ever seen that at the museum, the Ben Stiller movie? No, I somehow missed those. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> oh boy, sorry I missed it. Yeah, I saw it. I don't even remember why I saw it. Like I must have been going with some younger person in my family because, like, by the time those came out, like I was old enough that they were, they were a kids' movie and not the kind of kids' movie that appeals to non-kids, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, they, so like they're in this museum, then all these displays in the museum basically come to life with it, which essentially is all these characters coming to life, right? And like throughout the night you're meeting all these different like, you know, animals and creatures and people and stuff like that. Annabelle comes home was like that for a horror movie because it's all about the the daughter of the Warrens uh who are the um like the the people that are, you know, help the the family in the conjuring and they're real people and that's what the whole world is built around is like their research and work and stuff like that um they have a room in their house where all of these evil artifacts basically like they have them in there and like this is real too like they have them in there and they have a priest come and bless the room like twice a month or whatever and um like that's all real stuff like that really exists so they have a daughter that's true too Um, And the movie is basically, like, there's this girl that babysits the daughter, and her friend comes over. Her friend wants to go get in the room because her her friend's dad had died in a car accident, and the friend felt like it was her fault. So there's a reason for her to go into this room she's not supposed to be into and and, uh, accidentally unleash all this evil. So the whole night is basically, like, all these different, like, specific cases of evil being unleashed in the house so it's the night of the you know there's this creepy murderer demon and this one and there's this werewolf and so it was very much like that like you know you're going through uh this you know uh murderer's row of uh demons basically and then they survive the night and you know at the end of the night they they get the evil locked back up you know (laughs) so it was i didn't think it was a very scary movie but it was a very fun watch i thought uh, and then the next one after that is the one that I'm on right now, which is The Curse of uh, La Llorona, um, which is interesting so far. Uh, my cousin told me that it, it legitimately creeped him out, which says a lot because he loves horror movies and watches a lot of them. Um, and it definitely, it's got some creepy stuff to it. Uh, so after this, I have, I think, two more or three more. I think I have three more after this. Hmm. Cool. Um, yeah. So you good. A little update with that. It's been fun. I did kind of slow down on it for a while because I don't like watching horror movies after everybody goes to bed because, you know, it's like if you allow yourself to get into it and it does creep you out, you do not want to be in a, uh you know, 180 year old house uh, when it's pitch black outside um, and everything is very creepy and most of the windows don't have coverings. So I don't do that. I, I watch it when other people are still up. So cool. <laughs> yeah, that's good. down a little bit. But, anyways, All let's right. call it a day.
0: Yeah, sounds good. Well, another nice meandering episode for us.
1: Meandering's right. is nice. Eventually, yeah. we'll get back to Sandman too. Slowly working on reading uh, our next batch. of that.
0: Yeah, maybe uh, we should try to do that next time.
1: Yeah, sounds good to me. I'm, yeah, on I'm looking forward to reading that. So let's. I'll. I'll get out my copy and and start my reading. Nice. Real life side note. Uh, I am getting a 99% in my economics class right now. So I'm feeling right. uh, feeling very encouraged with school at the moment. That's pretty darn good, I, I think, from what I remember about school. Yeah. Cool. I mean, it is out of 200% in this class, which is weird, but so. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's going really well. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps
0: up another 99th episode. We'll talk to you later. Bye.